very thankful for this opportunity that God's given us to be here in the house of the Lord. It's just good to see each one of you, and I hope we're properly thankful for the privilege we have of entering into God's house with His with His people. I would ask that you would uh, pray for me this morning, that God's grace would be with us, that we would have the leadership of the Spirit and the help of God. I would ask that you'd pray for yourself there on the pew, that God would be with you on the pew, that our, our all our minds could be opened that we'd be able to receive from the Lord, that we'd be a field that's cultivated and ready to receive God's Word, that we could grow thereby. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I, I trust that you do. Turn with me to the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis. The 24th chapter of the book of Genesis. We're going to begin by reading just verse 27 of the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis as we consider this uh, this testimony of the servant of Abraham. Genesis 24, verse 27, And he said, that's Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. The phrase at the end of that is uh, what we trust that God bless us to concentrate on. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Here in Genesis chapter 24, we have the account of Abraham. This is after the Lord has brought him out to the land of his nativity, which was there, Nahar and Mesopotamia. He's come to the land of Canaan, and God has blessed him richly, and he and Sarah have been blessed to have a son named Isaac. God had promised Abraham with a land, God promised him with a seed, and that seed would be as the stars of heaven and as the sand by the seashore. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham, in his love for God and his love for his family, is concerned that his son would have a good wife. He has no desire in his heart that Isaac would be married to one of these women here in the land of Canaan, but his desire is that he would be married to one of his own kindred, back in this land of Ur of the Chaldees. And he would send this servant, Eliezer, whose name literally means, I am the servant of my master. He would send him all the way back to the Ur of the Chaldees to take a bride, a wife, for his son Isaac. The beginning of this chapter starts with the conversation between Abraham and Eliezer. And then it shows us Eliezer taking that long journey and being blessed of the Lord and him coming to a particular place and, and the Lord blessing him in such a way that he would meet this, this, this very one that Abraham had told him to seek for, this very one that his heart longed to see to fulfill his charge, his commandment that was given to him of his master. And after he sees her, speaks with her, and knows his prayer has been answered, his charge has been fulfilled, he said, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. 
as I consider this verse, my mind is stirred concerning our own experience in the service of the Lord and how this individual being commanded and directed and being blessed of the Lord reminds me of all that God has, has done for me in my service to God. And I think if you will meditate and ponder upon this verse and those things that happen in this chapter with this servant of God, I think you'll find your experience will have some accordance with this. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. If God would be our helper this morning, I'd like for us to first consider this, this way. I, being in the way, what this way is, and what this means to us as God's servants right now in the year 2021. I'd like for us to consider that word led. I, being in the way, the Lord led me. I'd like for us to consider where he was led, to the house, to this house that he was in at this present time. And what was in this house, it was his master's brethren, the family of Abraham himself. Now, brothers and sisters, Abraham was this man's master. Abraham was the one that commanded this person where to go and what to do, and he was a faithful servant to his master. You know, I stand before you at this time, Abraham is not my master. Abraham is a man of faith, a man I read about in the scripture, but Abraham is not my master. But I have a master. My master is the same as the master of Mary. Do you remember Mary? There in John chapter 20 when she was at the sepulcher, the place where they buried the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, she thought someone had come and stole his body away and just supposed him that was there with her to just, just be a gardener. And she asked him, you know, where have they laid him? But you know, Jesus saw her sorrow. He saw the emptiness she had in her heart because she wasn't near him that she loved. And he said one word to her. He said, Mary. When he said Mary, it took all of her sorrow away. Isn't it amazing how God can just say one thing to us through his word, through the gospel, or just in a still small voice in our ear in our times of meditation. And God is able to take all our sorrow and the pains of this world away. You know what she said? She called him Rabboni, which means my master. Jesus, she declares, is her master. Jesus is my master. And I hope I show the world that Jesus is my master. And he's the one that commands me. And I trust that God would bless me to have humility. That I would obey his commandments. This individual, Eliezer... He was commanded something. He was commanded to go and what to do. And he said, and I being in the way. Have you ever noticed this doesn't say a way? It says the way. The way is in the singular. The way is specific. Abraham did not make things vague in his commandments to this service. Abraham made things specific before he should go in the direction that he should go. You know, the Lord in giving us commandments as his servants, being our master, God hasn't been vague. God has been very specific in the commandments and the way we should live and the way we should serve him. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a commandment given to God. We often taught the old covenant of service, and God was specific concerning those commandments of service. Here in the New Testament church, we have a covenant of service that's been given to us, and God is, is specific. He gives us specifics. And it is not a way, it's the way. It's the way that God has commanded us to serve Him. 
You know, there's an attack in this world against the Word of God. You know why there's an attack against the Word of God? So that we would not have a standard concerning how to measure ourselves in the way that we should serve God. People are always trying to sow doubts in the minds of the children of God that they would not have confidence in God's Word. The Bible teaches us that this Word that we have was inspired by God, meaning it came directly from God, and God Himself, Psalms chapter 12 and verse 6, has preserved and kept this Word. And just as God is able to keep His people so that none would be lost, God is able to keep the church so that there will be a church somewhere on this earth. And He returns, God is able to keep His Word. What we have in our possession at this time is a faithful copy of the original manuscripts. What I have before me now in the English language is not the original manuscripts. It's not. But God did not promise to preserve the original manuscript. God promised to preserve His Word. And Timothy there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 had in his possession a faithful copy of the original manuscripts. And the Apostle Paul equated that being equal to the original manuscripts. If I have something that's been preserved by God, that's been given to me, I have something that's equal to the original manuscripts. Why? Because the God of glory that gave it is able to keep it. And I have confidence in my King James Bible that it came from the Lord. And you can have confidence in every word and every mark of punctuation. God gave us this book and it's the standard for us to know what is the way. The way. Not just a way. The way. Do you realize if we don't have a standard, you know what happens? What happened in the days of Judges? Every man just did that that was right in their own eyes. We live in a world where people are just doing things that are right in their own eyes. But brothers and sisters, we have a standard given to us of God. And if what we're doing does not measure up to the Word of God, we should stop it. And if there's something commanded to us in the Word of God, we should start doing it. And I've said this many times. We don't need something new. What we need to do is the old better. This man said, I being in the way. Abraham gave him specifics. God has given us specifics concerning the way we should serve Him and the way that we should live. You know, if we're ignorant of God's way, it's not God's fault, it's our fault. We should be concerned enough concerning God's commandments that we would search to know how God would have us to live and how we should serve Him. Have you ever noticed in Scripture how many times people failed to keep specifics as God commanded and the consequences for them failing to do so? You recall a man in 1 Kings chapter 13? He was a prophet of God that was sent to Jeroboam. This is after the kingdom divided in Rehoboam's day after Solomon died. And this king Jeroboam, in order to keep the children of Israel from going south to serve God at the temple, he set up two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan, and built altars there. God sent his prophet, 1 Kings chapter 13, to cry against that idolatry. And when he cried against that idolatry, you remember it was Jeroboam that reached forth his hand to touch him. And it was God that smote his arm and his arm withered. And he knew this was a prophet of God. Jeroboam cried unto that prophet and the prophet prayed to the Lord and the Lord restored his arm. And Jeroboam asked him to come into him that he would eat and drink. And that man said this, God has commanded me that while I was here in this charge that I would not eat and drink and that I would go back home another way. And so he went his way, and there was an old prophet in the land. 
This old prophet in the land, he sent a message by his son saying, The Lord has spoke to me and that you should come to my house and eat bread. What's the problem with that? God didn't tell that man to do that. God gave him a charge and something he should do. And he should go back out a different way. But that man, he took heed to that older prophet. When he took heed to that older prophet, he came into his house and the Spirit of God overcame the older prophet and the older prophet spoke the condemnation of that man. The judgment of God against him for not following specifics. And that man was devoured by a lion as he went back his way and his carcass was there and they went and took his carcass up. What happened? Well, it's okay to eat and drink, isn't it? But not there because God gave him specifics and what he should do. And failing to keep those specifics, there was consequences in not keeping the specifics of the commandments of God. I remember in the days of Moses there in Exodus chapter 17, God told Moses, gave him specifics, speak to that rock that follows thee. We know that that rock was Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moses spoke to that rock and that rock gave water. It came out like a river and the children of Israel were able to drink. I find over in Numbers chapter 20, that rock was still there. Praise God, the same rock that was with them in Exodus 17 was still with them in Numbers chapter 20, the same rock. But this time God didn't tell Moses to smite the rock as he did in Exodus 17. I think I said speak. I got it mixed up. 17, smite the rock. Numbers chapter 20, he told him to speak to the rock, not to smite it. And Moses smote it twice. He did not follow the specifics that God gave him in that service. What happened to Moses? He didn't go into the land of Canaan. Moses faithful in that service for 40 years. He was in Egypt 40 years, over in the desert 40 years, and in the service of God for 40 years there were the children of Israel. 40 years of service, ruined by one time not following specifics. Wow, what consequences, right? Moses was allowed to look over into the land of Canaan, but not allowed to go there. Why? He did not follow specifics as God gave him. Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus chapter 10. The Lord has given specifics on how they should serve God in the tabernacle. There was an altar. It was a five by five by three brazen altar. And God lit the fire of that brazen altar. With his own finger, God lit it. And they were to use that fire, that fire in all their service to the Lord. Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, the Bible says they brought in strange fire. That was different than the fire that God gave. Now fire is fire, right? What's the difference? Fire is just fire, but that was not the specific fire God said to use. Well, what happened to Nadab and Abihu? They died. There was consequences to them not following specifics. This man named Abra- this man named Eliezer that was commanded of Abraham to go in a specific way, he went in that specific way. He followed his commandments that was given to him by Abraham, and it brought him to the place that he should be, I being in the way. The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. This way was a specific way. It was a singular way. It was a commanded way. But it was a way that this man was humble too. This man was humble to these commands of his master. And if we're to be brought to where God would have us to be in our life, we have to be humble to his commandments. Now what is humility? Well, humility is a trembling chin and a tear coming from the eye. No, it's not. That's not humility. I realize that's an emotion sometimes that's associated with humility. But a person could actually be humble and not have a trembling chin or a tear flowing down their cheek. Over in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul warned us of voluntary humility. That's people that would have an outward show as though they were humble, but actually they were not humble. They were very rebellious. What is humility? 
Humility is one that will submit themselves to a higher authority. Humility is one that will submit themselves to the commands of God. Eliezer was humble to those commands in that he did exactly what his master told him to do. Brothers and sisters, for us to be humble, and the Bible teaches us that God would dwell with those, he is nigh those of a broken heart, and and he's with them and saveth such as have a contrite spirit, there in Psalm 34, we will have to be humble to the commands of God, meaning this, whatever God says to us, we should do it. Do you remember there Mary in John chapter 2 and verse 5 at the wedding at Canaan in Galilee? You know, she came to the Lord and said, we have no wine, as though she needed to inform the Lord. The Lord already knew they didn't have wine. He knew they wouldn't have any wine there a thousand years before that. He knew they wouldn't have wine there before the world was made. <laughs> he said, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And Mary, she remembers who he is. Oh yeah, this is not just a man that's here at the wedding. No, this is the eternal Son of God. And she turns around and looks to everybody and said, whatever he saith to you, do it. Whatever he says to us, do it. I being in the way. This man was humble to this specific way, to this commanded way, to this singular way. But this way he was in was one that was a difficult way. It wasn't easy. You know, it's difficult to serve God and serve God faithfully. This was not an easy task for him to do in fulfilling the commandments of his master. And as God has commanded us to live right, to do right, to serve Him faithfully, that's not an easy thing to do. Now, there's a lot of joy in it. There's a lot of joy in it, and the blessings of God that we receive in serving Him faithfully will overcome any of the troubles of the devil and the world in this life. God's joy is greater than the sadness this world will bring upon you. But it's not an easy way. Have you ever thought about how far this man traveled? How far he traveled from there in Canaan back over to Nahar of Mesopotamia and Ur of the Chaldees. It was somewhere between 500 and 700 miles. And he did that with camels. I mean, he didn't have a Toyota. He didn't have a Ford truck. (laughs) He didn't have a Nissan. He didn't have a King Cab Toyota. No, he did it on foot. This man probably traveled 25 to 40 miles per day. Now just figure out this how long it took him to get there. And he went through the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs. It was a difficult path for him to walk. But in that, he was faithful to the command, to his charge that was given him. You know, when he gets there, he didn't get there to a pleasant environment. I mean, this was Ur of the Chaldees, Nahar of Mesopotamia. I mean, this place was known for idolatry. This place was known for ungodliness. And when I think about that region, I'm reminded so much of this world that we live in today. Just the definitions of those words. And by the way, the, the names that are in the Bible are not just there by accident. There is a spiritual lesson to every word in the Bible. It may be beyond my spiritual understanding, but there's a spiritual lesson to that. Think about this word Mesopotamia. What does Mesopotamia mean? Mesopotamia means the land between the two flooded rivers. That's what it means. You know, when I think about that, I think about this time that we live in. We're living between two flooded rivers, between two floods. A flood in the Bible is an emblem, a declaration of God's judgment. Well, there was a flood in Noah's day, right? It flooded the whole earth. Remember in Noah's day, there's water that came from three places. There was a firmament around the earth, and that water came down. There was rain that came down from heaven, and the fountains of the deep were broken up, and the whole earth was flooded. You ever talked to anyone, they doubted the flood, and they said, you know, there's not enough moisture in the earth to flood the earth. Not now there's not, but there was then. (laughs) 
And now when we see rain, we see a rain, we see a rainbow in the cloud, a bow in the cloud, and what that is is God's token, a declaration you'd never destroy the world with water again. But God will destroy the world, but it will not be with water. And that's the second judgment. The second judgment is when the world will be destroyed by fire and all men will stand before him, every sheep and goat, and he will divide them as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. What are we living in right now? We're living between two floods. That's what we're living in. We're living between that judgment and the judgment to come. Nahar of Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldees. Ur literally means fire and flaming fire. That's how the world will be destroyed. Chaldee is destruction of judgment. And that's what this world will have, destruction of judgment. Nahar, that name Nahar, which is Abraham's kinfolk, it means one asleep or snoring, which reminds me of the world that I'm living in now. We're between two floods, two judgments, in a land that's going to be destroyed with fire, and no one's even concerned. How much of the world is even concerned? 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5 references two types of sleep. One is the sleep of the body in the grave, and we know the body is asleep in the grave, but the soul and spirit is with the Lord, and the other is the sleep of non-concern. People are not even concerned about their service to God as they live between these two floods, these two judgments. This man made that travel, difficult travel, that long distance, to this place that was not a pleasant environment to fulfill his charge. And brothers and sisters, we, in seeking the way, walking in the way, doing it and living the right way as God commanded us, it will not be pleasant always. It will be difficult. The Bible called this a straight and narrow way. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. S-T-R-A-I-T. That's a difficult way. You ever heard of like the Straits of Gibraltar? The Straits in certain seas? You know, they're so narrow, some ships can't go through. You know the reason some folks can't get in this way? They're carrying way too much cargo from the world. That's why. Many children of God are loaded down with all the cares, thoughts, and love of this world so that they can't get in this difficult way. If we're going to get in this way, this difficult way, and do this, fulfill our commandments, we've got to get our mind focused. This man's mind was focused on his command, his discharge, what was given to him to do. And I being in the way, the Lord led me. It being a difficult way, I will need the Lord's leadership and help. The older I get, the more I realize I can't do it by myself. I need God. Paul said, and having obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. Acts 26, 22. I need the Lord. This man understood he needed the Lord. Turn back with me. And let's read what this man says in verse 12 of this chapter. As he would kneel to pray, he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And he said, And let it come to pass that the damsel whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher. I pray thee that I may drink, that she shall say, Drink. And I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. Notice what he's doing. He's praying. He's praying, God, give me a sign. God, give me leadership. God, be my help. I being in the way, the Lord led me. Brothers and sisters, in this way, we need the leadership and help of God. You know what happens if we're left to ourselves? We get off path. Every time we'll get off path. A man of God that... When the Lord separates himself from him, he will get off path. 
Elder P.H. Bird used to say a man that did not have the Lord with him that was trying to preach was like a man who had a mouth full of cotton. He wants to preach, but he can't preach. He's got a mouth full of cotton. He wants to swallow it, but he can't swallow it. He wants to spit it out, but it's stuck in his mouth. That man can't preach. Why? Because he's lost the presence of God. He will bore you and put you to, to sleep in service. But the man of God that has the Lord with him, that the Lord is leading him, he can preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in power and in demonstration of the Spirit. And so it is with our life. We, if we don't have the leadership and help of God in our every day life we will be off path we can't do it ourselves now we could boast i can handle this myself the bible says cursed is the man that trusteth in man but blessed is the man that trusts in the lord that leads him this man said i being in the way the lord led me how does the lord lead us how does the lord lead us i love that hymn in shady green pastures you know, God led his dear children along. God leads us along. You know, God is gentle to lead us. He'll lead us in the right way. God leads us to his word. I've heard someone say, I wonder what the will of God is for my life. Have you read the Bible lately? I promise you, whatever God commands you to do in his leadership, it's not going to be contrary to his word. God will lead you in his word. Have you ever needed some help, some guidance in your life? You just go to the Bible and start reading and bam, there it be. Wow. What about that? Isn't it amazing how the Bible is always up to date? It only not only fit cases 2,000 years ago, it'll fit cases today. It'll fit with you and I. Another way God leads us is through the gospel. I mean, you'll come to the house of God. You need some leadership in your life, some help in your life. And the preacher just so happened, just preach on what you need. Isn't that amazing how God will do that? He'll lead you along. God will lead you with impressions of the mind. You, know, you lay down and sleep at night. And you wake up and you're thinking about something. And God will give you an answer just helping you. Sometimes God will lead you through a friend. I tell you, I've had precious friends in my life and I've looked for counsel in them. The Bible said in the mouth of many counselors there's safety. The best many counselors are the 66 books of the Bible. But there's other many counselors. You've got other people in the world that follow the Lord. And I need, I need the prayers of those I love. I need the help and the counsel of those I love. That's why I love coming to the house of God. I'm around people that want to follow the Lord and follow in His leadership, and I'm around them, and they're seeking His will, and I can seek His will at the same time, and we can help one another. We can lean on, on one another. I had a man tell me many years ago about a fireplace and how coals of fire will be in a fireplace. You know, you can look at those coals in that fireplace, and you can take out one of those coals, and you can set it off by itself, and it, it won't be long that coal will go out very quickly. But that coal, when it's around those other coals, they warm one another and they stay red much longer, right? That's the way it is in the house of God. That's the reason we need to be close to each other. Leaning on one another, bearing one another's burdens, and caring for one another, helping one another, and we can see that leadership of the Lord. I remember a man named David that failed to follow the leadership of the Lord. The Bible said he looked to captains of the world and they led him in the wrong way. David learned his lesson from that point forward. Everything he had before him, he inquired of the Lord. What would you have me to do, Lord? I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. You know, the Lord's leadership is never going to take you away from his fellowship. If you see someone that's going away from God's fellowship, be assured that's not the Lord's leadership. God's not going to lead a child of God away from the commandments of his word. If you see someone going away from that, that's not the Lord. The Bible said, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God. 
We should try them and put them to the test. How do we put them to the test? By God's Word. We have something that's leading us away from our service to God in the house of God. That's, that's not the Lord doing that. It may be my own spirit. It may be the spirit of the devil. It may be the spirit of the world. But God's leadership would lead us to live in accordance to His Word, accordance to His commandments, living a quiet and peaceable life in His faithful service here below. I being in the way the Lord led me. But notice where He was led. He's led to a house, the house of my master's brethren. You know, when he talked to Rebecca, Rebecca told him about this house. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 24, when Eliezer is talking to Rebecca about this house. Genesis chapter 24, he asked her in verse 23, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? Notice what she said about this house. She said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah. She's this relative of Abraham. Was she barren to Nahar? She said moreover to him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. That's what that house is all about. Eliezer, we got a house, and in this house we got straw. We got provender enough and room to lodge in. We got plenty of food here. We got a place for you to rest. And we got a place you'll feel welcome. You just come home with me, meet my family in this house, and I want to show you how wonderful this house is. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. When I think about this house, I think about a house that we're in today, the house of God. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 calls the church of the Lord Jesus Christ a house. It's the house of God. It's the pillar and ground of truth. Our purpose is to hold up God's truth in this world for the world to see it. But it's a house. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2 and 3 teaches us in the last days, the last dispensation of time, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and exalted above all hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. I think I said a few Sundays ago, any rotten log can go downstream. But it'll take some grace and help of God to go upstream to this house of God. It's a house. But it's a house that's got straw, provender enough, and room to lodge in. You know, that house had to be a house of love. That family loved one another. I mean, she feels very comfortable in inviting Eliezer to come to this house. Now, can you imagine just what she would have looked like to him if her house would have been in turmoil and been in trouble arguing all the time, fussing all the time. I bet she said, well, maybe we can find you a place to stay here around Eliezer, but I don't want you to come home with me. <laughs> no, that house was a house of love. That house meant something to her because of that love. That house had to be a house of forgiveness between one another. It was a house where you could get plenty of food for vendor enough, and it was a house where they could rest. You know, I think about that house, and I think about this house and what it means to me. You know, the house of God didn't always mean to me what it does today. I remember a time back in my life, my mom and daddy had to drag me to church. Do you remember those days? <laughs> mom and daddy had to make you get up and drag you to church. It didn't mean that much to you. But it seemed like the older I get, the more this place means to me. And the more I want to encourage people to come to this place. I heard a story several years ago. A brother was talking about some boys that were members of the church. And the church didn't mean that much to them. And they said they were out in the vestibule. These boys were... It had been a long day in the service of God. And, and they were looking at a little plaque there in the vestibule of that church. And they said there's a bunch of names 
of the members of that church that had died in service. Some were Marines, some were in the Army, some were in the Navy, some were in the Air Force. And they said, all them boys, we just look at that plaque, all them names on it. And the pastor walked up and said, boys, what do you think about this? One of the boys said, I don't know what to think. What is this, preacher? He said, well, these are all the names of the members that died in service. They said, one of the boys looked at him and said, well, did they die in the morning service or the evening service? (laughs) Didn't mean all that much to them. I remember a time in my life, the house of God didn't mean as much to me as it does today. But now it means so much to me. I love the house of God. I love gathering together with the saints because I can feel the love of God when I'm in your presence. I can feel the forgiveness that we have one to another in remembering the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can see the provender enough, the food. I can come and be fed spiritually to be strengthened as I face the trials and tribulations of this life. It's a place that I can come and rest. I can rest. And I can rest in the same grace that saved me from hell to heaven. I can rest in that here in the kingdom of God. Isn't it amazing that David, he said, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The same thing that fed the sheep is the same thing they can lie down in and rest. I'll tell you, the same preaching of the grace of God that feeds my soul is the same preaching of grace that I can lay down in and rest here in the kingdom of God. Here in the house of God, we see that love we have one to another in this house, and that's how precious this house is to us. I remember my mom, when she first joined the church, Sister Faye Loudermilk, she just followed Daddy. I remember she told Daddy, if you join the Primitive Baptist, I'm not going to join with you. But I remember them telling me, I wasn't there. But Daddy went down, she went right down with him, followed right behind him. My mama had a conversation with her mom and dad about her joining the Primitive Baptist and them trying to discourage her from doing it. Did my mom say, I love the church because I love election? My mama loves the doctrine of election, but that's not what she said. Well, I love the church because I love the doctrine of predestination. My mama loves the doctrine, but that's not what she said. I love the church because they use unleavened bread and real wine in communion. We already use that when we come to the Primitive Baptist. We believed it, but that's not what she said. You know what my mama said? I love the church because they love one another. They love one another. And my mama saw that love that they had to one another. See, this girl, she's happy about that home, that house. She's telling Eliezer, come to my house, come and see this. Forgiveness, you know, you think about that family, in order for them to be tight-knit, they had to be forgiven of one another. You can't be tight-knit and not be forgiven of one another. I want to tell you, if you're going to live around anybody in this world, you're going to have to forgive them for something. (laughs) If you're going to live around me, you're going to have to forgive me of something. Sometimes you just have to forgive me for being me. (laughs) Any family has to have forgiveness. I want to tell you, that house had forgiveness in it. This house here, we... We have forgiveness of one another, remembering the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we should be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And I don't care what your brother and sister in the house does to you. It pales in comparison to the offense that we made in the sight of God. I mean, we owe God 10,000 talents. We have nothing to pay. And God frankly forgave that in the Lord Jesus Christ when He died for us on the cross of Calvary. I owe nothing to Nothing is owed to me in offense in comparison to how I offended God. Yes, I can forgive my brother and sister just on the basis of remembering that God forgive me of my sins through my Savior. You know, this house was a house that had plenty of provender. We have provender enough. What does that mean? we got plenty. You know, you can come to the house of God and eat all the spiritual food you want to and there will still be plenty left over. 
You know, I love the account there in John chapter 6, which is also in Matthew 14. You also find it in Mark 8 and Luke 8 when the Lord fed the 5,000 between the women and children. You know, there's just a lad there. He had five loaves and two fishes. How many ministers of the gospel have come to church on Sunday morning? All he had was five loaves and two fishes. Just had a little. And the Bible said the Lord took it and he blessed it. And it fed the 5,000 between the, in, beside the women and children. And after it was over, they took up 12 basketfuls. You know, that's just not just a little basket. No, those are traveling baskets. There was a lot of food left over. There was enough food left over for the apostles to go down the street and give unto those in need. I love coming to a service when we bring less than what we go out with. We always go out with more than what we brought in. Why? Because it's a place that we can be fed. You know, God promised us there in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, I will provide you pastors and teachers and they shall feed you. With milk and honey? No, with knowledge and understanding. That's what he said. And we come to the house of God and we're fed and we're strengthened with knowledge and understanding. May God help us to come to the house of God and hear that truth preached and go away knowing more than what we came knowing. We have this room to lodge in. It's a place of rest. You can come and lay your head down here. We've got enough room. You know, there's always room in the house of God. You ever talk to someone that come to the church? I don't know. Does the church have room for me? Oh, yeah, church got room for you. <laughs> church always got room. I want to tell you, a child of God that's following the Lord's always got room in his heart for another child of God, too. It's enough room to lodge in. You can come and rest here. You can come and just lay down in that rest we have in the Lord. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are laboring heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to this place. She said, come to this house. And Eliezer said, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house. And this house, it's not just any house, but it's the house of my master's brother. This family is here. My family's here. You know, I was born the son of Marvin and Faye Loudermilk. I joined the Missionary Baptist when I was nine years old. I thought I had just a small family. I remember a time in my late teenage years, God blessed me to come to the Primitive Baptist. I joined the Primitive Baptist. I remember Elder Robert Mean, Elder Kerry Lathrop's grandpa. He was a member there. I went by Brother Robert one day and I said, How's it going, Robert? He said, It's not Robert, it's Brother Robert. Brother Ronnie. I said, Yes, sir. So every time I went by him, I'd say, Brother Robert. I wasn't used to that. I was just used to calling people by their first name. I said, Brother Robert. I started calling everybody in the church there, Brother Robert. You know, I've continued to do that. Now I call people brother and sister even out on the soccer field. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I just got a bigger family than what I thought. You know, we've got a big family. You know, here at the church, we're a family, but we've got a big family. God's got a big family. And according to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 15, this family is not only on earth, but it's in heaven and earth. By whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, we've got a big family here. We got a big family there. We're all in the family of God by God's grace. By God's grace, we've been adopted out of Adam's family into the Lord's family. By His grace and direct work, we've been born into His family. We are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are His children. And He's the firstborn among many brethren. A big family. It seems like the older I get, the more family I have there than I do here. Does that happen to you? The family here, we mourn. You ever thought about the family there? When someone passes, what they're doing, are they mourning? 
Anytime there's a departure, and the Bible refers to death in this world as a departure, the Apostle Paul longed to be with the Lord, depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. How far? I don't know how far. It's just far better. Depart. Anytime there's a departure, there's an arrival. Right? At the time of departure, in the place of departure, there's mourning. What about the place of arrival? You think there's mourning there? Many years ago, when Sarah Beth was a baby, we were planning to go to Washington, D.C. to spend Thanksgiving with Jennifer's family. Elder John Scott, who's the pastor at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, asked me to preach their, their Thanksgiving meeting. So I was going to preach on Sunday morning there where I pastored in Georgia. I was going to hug and kiss my family bye, and they were going to go to the airport. They were going to fly to Washington, D.C. They were going to depart. I was going to drive down there and preach that meeting for Brother John, which would be on Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. And then I was going to come on Thursday morning to the airport, get on an airplane to depart, and go where they were. You know, when they were departing, I said goodbye to my family. My little baby Sarah Beth, Joshua, my wife, I was sad. I was sad. I remember being in the churchyard and hugging Sarah Beth's little neck. Hugging Joshua's neck. Hugging my wife's neck. Me going down the road the opposite direction to preach that meeting. They departed. I was sad. But you know what happened when they arrived in Washington, D.C.? Her mama and sister and family, they were all happy. I was sad. They departed from me. But they arrived there and they were all happy and rejoicing. You know, I didn't think much about how happy they were with me being here mourning and sad. And brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with mourning. There's nothing wrong with shedding tears. The Lord Jesus Christ wept at Lazarus' gravesite. He wept. There's righteous emotion. Emotions only become sinful when they're tarnished and marred by our carnal nature. Yeah, I, I wept. I was sad. I preached that meeting. They departed. But they arrived there and they're all rejoicing there because they're there hugging each other's neck. Jennifer happy to see her mama, happy to see her sister. Hazy and Cindy glad to see Joshua and Sarah Beth. They're all rejoicing. But you know what happened? It was just a little while. Just a little while. And I got on an airplane and I departed and I arrived. And I was no longer thinking about that sadness that I had when they departed. But I was there in that place of arrival where they were and they were rejoicing. You know, there's a lot of truth to that experience. With us here on earth, our family, we're here with our family here on earth. And I love my family on earth. I love you. I've got mothers and fathers here in Israel that I love very much. And I love you all. And I love spending time with you. But if the Lord didn't come back, there's going to be departures. People are going to pass in this life. And I'm going to be sad, but I should think about how happy they are at the place of arrival when they get there to heaven and they're rejoicing with the Lord because when we depart from this life, it's not one day, two days, three days, four days, six days, six months. No, it's immediately we're in the presence of God. And those people are there with the Lord and they're rejoicing. And it's just a little while, brothers and sisters, just a little while that we're going to depart and we're going to be there in that place of arrival and we'll all be happy together. But notice what I did before I made that departure. I was in my service to the Lord there at the church. You know what made that time pass by fast? Serving God. What did the Apostle Peter say about that? Looking and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. 
And that's what we should be doing, thinking about that family, that family. We should be with our family here, looking and hasting unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you this story, and I'm going to stop this morning. I remember when I was a little boy, we'd go to church services. My daddy would preach all over the state of Georgia. Sometimes we'd get in the car and start driving. David and I were like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We'd stop at a gas station. Are we almost there yet? Are we almost there yet? And daddy finally say, look, boys, find you something to do. Find you something to keep you busy. And if you'll find something to do to keep you busy, he said, well, be there before you know it. Dear children of God, we in this world, before that time of departure and arrival, we'll be there with them in glory. We need to find something to do in the service of God and staying busy in the service of God is looking and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would come and take us home to heaven and we'll be there and we'll be happy forever and ever and ever. And just the thoughts of that, man, it makes all the troubles of this life seem as nothing. And praise God, it'll be like the hymn, when we pass through that gate, all the toils of this life will then seem as nothing. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. May God richly bless you. It's our prayer. If you feel like you're in the family,